Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Desia Coffee on the line. Desia, how are you? I am wonderful. Glad to be here, Michael. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And when uh, I saw your information come over, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. I, most of them are. I'm, you know, not to complain about anything, but there are always some we know that are going to be great conversations. And I'm sure this one's going to be that as well. So why don't you give a little bit uh, of information about you to the audience and then we'll dive in. Yeah, absolutely. So I own a marketing agency called The Marketing Blender. We're a little unique in that we primarily focus on people that are too smart for their own good, (laughs) complicated selling environments. Um, But also the big thing is that we offer chief fractional marketing officer services. And so it's something that we saw that I saw for years is that people want to go straight to the tactics and they skip the marketing plan. And they skip the strategy. And basically what they're skipping is that they're skipping straight into hope marketing, right? I hope it works versus I'm planning for success. And so we flipped the business model and we help grow companies now instead of delivering marketing services. And it is fun and quite the ride. But yeah, that's a little bit about what we do. It's amazing work. And it's great that you discovered that because traditionally, you know, people go through, okay, here's this, here's your logo, here's your branding, what's your message, what, and all the things that all of us entrepreneurs have done. Uh, but it, I, I love the fact that it, it, it takes it back a bit and says, okay, before you create this greatest thing ever, um, how is it going to work? You know, how is how how are people gonna resonate with this? Because if if no one's gonna buy into it, they're like, eh, why would why would we want that? It'd be like selling an electric car before there was electricity. It's like not not ready for that yet. We don't have anything to power it. So it's great that you came up with that, you know, concept and and was able to do it in such a way where it's really providing a lot of value to your clients. It's fun. And I mean, what you said just so well said, because that's right. I see that with a lot of early entrepreneurs in the beginning. They are so in love with their idea. But if you can't get that person to understand that there's value, because we don't, as entrepreneurs, we don't define value. The market defines value. And so you better make sure that what you deliver is how they define value or that you can at least find the words where they get the aha moment and they go, oh, I do need that. I do want that. But it all starts with what the market thinks, not what you think. And so that's that's the tricky part, but it's fun and it's not as complicated as it sounds, but I do think people get in their own way. That's something we talked about briefly in our pre-show conversation is how people overcomplicate marketing. You know, we, we forget that we have to just get the basics. You know, do you have something that you know, the public wants or are you able to articulate it in such a way where they figure out oh i really want that you know steve jobs was a master at that and apple did amazing things and continue to do so but uh, under his second term you know the first term you could say he did too but under that second term you know when he came out with the 
iPad and the iPod and the Apple phone and all of these things. You know, a lot of people say, we don't need that. Oh, okay, well, you know, trillions of dollars later in sales, apparently we did, or at least we wanted it. We may not have needed it, but uh, I tell you what, that technology came in really handy over the last couple of years. That's for sure. That's right. And it's interesting looking at them specifically because he knew his market. He knew the people that would be so loyal that he could build an entire new business model on. And so now the world in, in, you know, embraces design thinking and design first and beauty and simplicity. But that was not the case. It was more bells and whistles. But he realized, I love the early adopters. I love the people that love technology and disruption and have a clear idea of the way things should be. And that, ironically, was not the majority of us. And so he only spent money on those people. He only spent research and design time on those people. And he only spent money on those people. And that's who he marketed to. And then those people led the rest of us towards Apple over the years. And I think that's the number one principle when, when I'm thinking about entrepreneurs is who are your people? You know, you don't just because everybody might need or want your product someday doesn't mean that's who you spend money on because all you're doing is you're just going to water down and waste your spend. And it is an absolute ROI killer is to try to market to everybody and be a generalist. And I know entrepreneurs are listening and they're tired or frustrated with, I don't have a single avatar or I don't only have one buyer persona who cares? <laughs> Pick the one where the people are most likely to give you money the fastest. There's your buyer persona. The rest of them just don't spend your money, time, and attention on. It's not that you can't sell to them, but you cannot market to everyone. Even the Fortune 100s have a limited amount of money and they don't market to everyone and we shouldn't either. So I think that's absolutely critical. Just go where your buyers go and you will be wildly successful. It's great advice and a great reminder for all of us because we'll get some success and we'll get some clients that are all over the map and we think, oh, this is this is my audience and maybe, maybe not. You know, my situation where I'm doing an absolute ton of speaking over these last few years at conferences and I've spoke to every sector. Do I serve every sector? No, I mean, I if if they call, I'm like sure, but you know, it's you know, I do have you know a particular sector that I focus on, and that's where I design everything. Yeah, seventy five percent of that design might be beneficial to let's say the education field. Education is not my target. I've done work in the education field, but it's not my target, and the reason being is because I. I want to go work in an org or work with an organization or work with a group that number one, I know as best I can what their pain points are because I've been in their shoes. I know what it looks like. I know what it tastes like. So those are the people that I serve and design everything. So I'm, and even to the point you know, where I've had exercises like, okay, name the avatar, call them Phil, call them Sally, call them whatever, yes. you know, what kind of car do they drive? They drive, you know, a, 2022 BMW that they were able to get because they ordered it before the shortage of chips and all of that. So, you know, as make believe as you want, you're, you're writing a fiction novel. So, I mean, get really close. And if you keep that person or that team or that organization in mind, when you're designing 
anything or tweaking things. Like, how would this impact Phil? How would Phil deal with this? And if you keep that in mind, then it keeps you focused because it's easy as an entrepreneur. We all suffer from shiny object disease and, oh, that's it. We could do that. And there's no shortage. It doesn't mean it's not great, but you know, the work that I do in the burnout space, I tell people a lot of times people get overwhelmed because they overcommit themselves to great things. They're all great. You know, most of them are just amazing things to work on, but you can't do them all. You think you can, but you can't. You cannot. And and when you try to, guess what? You water down everything you do. Absolutely. You know, and you bring up such a good point because it's more fun. When you find your people, your joy is higher. You're serving at a level. You are actually developing mastery because when you have things that are repeatable, it frees up your mental margin to go, I can go further and go bigger. I can, I have more strategic time because there's certain things that are now just fundamental. You're no longer figuring it out over and over and over. And so when you're talking about burnout, this is really important across the board because that will kill your profit as well. If you chase everyone, there are always going to be certain clients, certain customers. They're profit killers and joy stealers. And they will suck the soul out of your business and the life out of your team. And that's horrible. It's not appropriate culturally. It's not appropriately appropriate financially. And so that's a really important because you know what? It's this either virtuous cycle or this really dangerous, sinister cycle, because if you attract and if you decide to go after everyone, you know what? That will that can harm your long-term customer churn. So it's not just about your net new customers. It's the people that you want to stay with for a long time. It's the people that want to be referring you, the people that you want as advocates and market partners, because there is this sustainability. If you talk about scaling, number one rule of scaling is you can't lose what you already paid for. So you work so hard to get those initial net new customers they need to stay with you. And if you're going after the wrong people, they won't. That's just simply not sustainable. It's not sustainable for you and it's not sustainable for them because there was no deep rooted resonance in the first place. And so I think that's critical. And I love how you talk about burnout because this is across all divisions of a company. It's not just culture. It's not just leadership. You know, it's all of the choices that you make in your business. Are they sustainable? And are they creating this amazing ecosystem of success? Or are they not? Like, it's pretty straightforward. And marketing is not outside of that conversation. I love how you mentioned that on every level of every organization, because you could have, you know, let's say six divisions in your company and five of them are just crushing it. They're doing really well. But if you're ignoring one, guess what? That's going to bring everything else down because it's that barrier, that hurdle that people just can't get over or around to improve things. And you mentioned something a moment ago about you know, keeping your existing clients. When you are spreading yourself too thin and you're trying all these different endeavors, then all of a sudden, you're like, here's our new product or creation that we just came up with. That's great for the education industry and you're helping out engineering companies and they're like, okay, maybe for a lunch and learn, but I'm not going to get a whole lot out of that. 
Nope. Gee, gee, thanks. And then they start thinking, maybe it's time to go with somebody else that has more of a narrow focus on engineering. You know, it's like when you are doing a renovation in your house or you want to learn a new skill. Let's say you want to learn how to bake designer cakes. Yeah. Okay. Well, are you going to go to somebody that works at a fast food restaurant and does these videos on making cakes? Or are you going to probably go to somebody that owns a designer cake company that's putting out some videos on techniques and things like that? Right. Nothing against that person that works at the fast food restaurant. They may be really gifted and maybe they're building their way to be a cake shop owner, but right. you, you have to focus. And that's what your clients are thinking. You know, they yes. want, okay, who, who's going to serve me? Who's going to make me better? And you got to keep that in mind because if you don't, you're going to start losing your existing customers. And then all of a sudden you're losing referrals. You're losing all kinds of different things, not only revenue, but uh, potential referrals and just, you know, goodwill and everything else. So you have to be really yes. careful around that. Absolutely. And the data backs what you're saying. I mean, people pay a premium for specialization. And this is slightly misunderstood, right? So a lot of people think differentiation or excuse me, specialization is around having the very best offering, whether it's a service or a product, right? Like I'm the best, I'm the fastest, I'm the best, I'm the cheapest, I'm, you know, whatever, you know, add the ERs and the ESTs to any, you know, any description. But that's not really what specialization is about. It's not about you knowing your thing better than anyone. Because guess what? If you're a pro, that's table stakes. That just being amazing at what you do, that gets you to the table. It doesn't earn you best in class status. Specialization is about specializing in the people that you serve because that information will then later distill and seep its way into everything that you do. You will build onboarding processes and forms and you will problem solve in a way that serves your people. You will create innovation that is specific based on what your best people responded. You will choose branding language and colors where your best people love that. And like, I'll give you a quick example. Some companies can get away with swearing in their marketing and their branding, like legit four letter words. Why? Because if their avatars fill, like you mentioned earlier, and Phil swears, he thinks that's funny. And he's like, yep, these are my guys. Right. But if you have, you know, Jerry over here and that's not how he thinks and it's not how he talks and it's not what resonates with him. Ooh, and then how do you make that decision? You pick the people that are willing to pick you. So, you know, I mean, it does become decision making criteria, but that's always, and I think this is the thing that people take for granted. You know, when you are really human, when you are really thinking into service at the highest possible level for your customers as well as your team, that's decision-making criteria because you're putting them first. And customer centricity, right? Like being customer-centric organization. We hear that phrase tossed around a lot. But guess what? It does not start when they become a customer. It starts the second you are making marketing choices about how to market to them and how to sell to them. So I like the idea of having a prospect experience and, and just being human-centered, your humans, because that is how you do cradle-to-grave delight of customers. And that's how you become a true best-in-class specialist. And that's where real differentiation comes in, is it's going deeper 
not wider and shallower, but going deeper in what you know and those people that you love. It's great advice, and I love you know the the prospect journey. You know, so many people go, it's like this can be my client, and this is what they do. It's like, well, if you make that prospect experience amazing, then they're going to turn into a customer, and they're going to be a raving fan of your business, and they're going to tell their like-minded companies and clients about you, and you'll get growth from that way as well. And too often we 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 look at big picture and we try to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? And we we put in all these, we'll call them conditions, but maybe restrictions, but maybe conditions of all these things that we want to accomplish or what we need to do. And it's like, oh, you know what? It's going to take you longer than you think to build a business from scratch. I oh, learned yeah. that. Um, you know, again, as we talked about briefly in my the pre-show, I think was you know my original career was in accounting, so you know got my bachelor's degree in accounting. And I the one regret that I have, and I don't as many mistakes as I've made in my life, and I've made a bunch, and I've done some great things too. My one regret is that I did not take more marketing classes when I had the opportunity to in college. Um, I didn't. I took one because it was required. And I am kicking myself for that because it could have had such a completely different ripple effect on things, made things easier in launching this business and the other things that I've done in my life if I would have taken more of those classes. But the beautiful thing is you can always learn them. And you know, being a lifelong learner, you know, I picked it up, but that is the only one regret that I do have is I didn't pay more attention to the marketing aspect of, of life um, because marketing is not just you know, for business. It's in life as well and how you present to f- new friends, potential loved ones, you know, all the things that we do in life. It's an important component to it and uh, it should be part of our everyday DNA. I could not agree more. I just love what you said there. I mean, it's funny because even from stage sometimes, especially when I'm talking about the psychology of decision-making and how people receive and understand information, how they hear you, not do, you know, not what you say, but how they hear it. And I will say, you know, this works on spouses, this works on teenagers, this works with best friends, this works with parents, you know, because you're right, it's just about relationship and connection and communication. And you know what, we all have to communicate and be persuasive or influential or impactful for the rest of our lives. No one gets out of this. If you want to achieve anything, you better be in control of your words and your ability to communicate and influence others. So you know what? you might as well go ahead and get good at it now. <laughs> like, Don't wait. <laughs> start diving in and start paying attention to other people because it doesn't matter if you think you're clear and if you appreciate what you're saying, if the other person that's receiving it chooses not to receive it, you are ineffective. Period. Doesn't have to be fair, but you do have to figure out how to help other people receive what you're giving. And yeah, it's just not about us. And that's the tricky part. You know, I mean, you talk about servant leadership and, you know, serving instead of selling. And that is really where it's at. It is about what other people need to receive and what they need to thrive and how do we best give it to them in the most efficient and effective way. And yeah, you're right. Marketing is about all of that, you know, not just the business world. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you, where do you see things going in the next couple of years? I mean, the last couple of years have been 
a bit odd to say the least. Uh, we, no, no playbook there. You know, it's like, how, how to pandemic. I didn't see that in the bookstore. Um, I, there should have been, I mean, we should have wrote better notes back in 1980 with, or 1918 with the Spanish flu, but maybe, <laughs> maybe somebody did and they just never got to print. I don't know, but uh, it's, it's been an interesting time. And I, I think back to when we had the, you know, the great, recession back in 07, 08, and 09, and how many businesses were birthed out of that. And I anticipate there's going to be companies as well that have been born uh, during these last two years that five to 10 years from now are going to be everyday uses for us. So where do you see things you know, over the next uh, few years, especially in the dynamics of the world that we live in today? So I do think it's going to get faster. So this is kind of bad news, but then I'm going to tag on some advice with it. So I do think things are going to continue to get faster. And most of us are probably thinking, oh, good Lord, no. How is that? I'm already so busy. How can it possibly go faster? It's going to. I do think um, technology is going to continue to accelerate because so many technologies are converging upon one another. And so that takes on an exponential factor. Um faster than we're ready for. And, you know, there is some danger to that because it's hard to be ethical and intentional when you're just running forward, right? Like we don't know what consequences we're creating, but it's not doom and gloom because here's my advice around that. And here's who I believe really, really believe are going to win and who I'm already seeing this is two different things. Number one, people need to start embracing the idea that in order to speed up, you first need to slow down. So be strategic, be intentional, take time to think, take time to ask difficult questions, create decision-making criteria, get your team aligned, take time to listen. So slow down in order to speed up because if you document these things and you really understand where you're trying to apply your intentionality, you will speed up because you did the hard work. You're no longer setting yourself up to learn the hard way, which that's the number one way to slow down is just continue to run as fast as hell straight into all of your biggest blunders, right? And I did this early in my career. So this is part advice, but this is also what I see with my most successful clients and the companies and the leaders that I really follow. And then the other piece, and it's kind of a sister piece of advice to that is that I really believe people need to go old school in order to be the best at these technologies that are coming. And so what I mean is it's really returning back to these fundamental pieces of humanity, how we communicate with one another, how we serve one another, taking the time to think and remembering that as different as all of us are, there's really just a few human conditions that we all get overly stressed and overly freaked out about. And that also we all desire, right? Meaning connection, love, right? Isolation is dangerous. Fear is dangerous. And this is consistent across everything. So where does your offering, where's your business offering? fall in regards to who we are. Like think Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like what are the fundamental things that each person needs and where do you fit into that? And so the more you return to human truths, the more likely when you embrace these crazy speedy technologies that are just coming at us, you're ready because there will be a core, a fundamental base, a foundation of who you are, what you believe, how you serve, and how you communicate to people. 
And you'll naturally layer that on top of anything new, because that will be the thing that's unchanging about you, no matter what the world is throwing at you and no matter what tools you or your team, and then you apply this to everything. And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a old fashioned advice, but I really do think we've got to go back to the unchanging things in order to be great, in order to be ready for the acceleration of change that's already happening. And that's going to go even faster. I love that advice. And it's a great reminder for all of us to kind of get back to the basis, make sure that your foundation is really strong. And if you do that, and it's it's a template that you apply to everything you do. Of course, there's going to be variances because of certain things you do. But if you have a, a consistent template, number one, you don't have to think, okay, how do I do this? Because you already know. And two, again, the human connection has been absent in in talking with you know salespeople, for example, yes. and the sales teams, and they've been doing the virtual stuff and all that. And like, yeah, we're going to continue that. I think the businesses that are going to thrive are the ones that are still going to get on that airplane and fly and go face-to-face with the customer. And it could be a prospect. And they're going to say, I'm here to deliver the presentation. And they're going to like, whoa, it's going to feel weird to them. And they're like, okay, you must really, really want this because you took that extra step to do that where everybody else, here's the PDF copy, but to hand deliver it, go over it. Any questions? No, we're good. All right. And those simple steps will be successful. Uh, Of course, make sure you budget accordingly because airplane tickets aren't cheap and people are losing their luggage. But other than that, life's great. Agreed. You know, and I would add one, you know, one piece onto that. So let's pretend, you know, you can't hop on that plane and that CEO won't take the time because they're flying all over as well to see you. You can still embrace that paradigm that you're putting forth, right? By going to the deep end in your conversations, especially in selling. This is a perfect example. And in marketing, there is a time when it's required of excellence to ask the scary question, to ask the question that you feel like it might lose you the deal. What I mean by that is saying, why are you really making this decision? What's really behind it? What's your real definition of success? You know, if it goes wrong, what are you going to do? What's really at stake? But if you allow yourself to be incredibly personal and really empathetic when you're walking in your clients or your prospect's shoes, and you're thinking, if it was me, how would I feel? What am I, what would I be experiencing? What else would I be thinking? And as a salesperson, you give yourself permission to have those dangerous conversations about what's really going on in their head versus trying to control the situation. That's a game changer too, because you're not playing shallow anymore. Like you're literally meeting them exactly where they're at. And it's risky because if you can't control the narrative, so the old fashioned, old school, you know, sales training goes, then you're not guiding, you're not, all, you know, you know, the always be closing, you're not taking steps towards the close. But I would disagree. I would say the faster you can get to the deep end and the faster you can have honest conversation, even dangerous conversation, the faster you get to a close and the faster you build trust because now they don't have to be sneaky and they don't have to wade through these difficult internal decisions because you're opening up a conversation that they're allowed to have in safety because you've put them and their decision-making first ahead of yours. So I think that's the other thing too, is 
people, when they're looking at their budgets, don't limit that personalization just to what you can spend. There are so many ways to win at just caring about people more than others. And people know it, you know, I mean, we don't need to use the, you know, authentic word if you just are. <laughs> yeah, authenticity is such a beautiful thing. And I think everyone needs to try it once in a while if they can. So Daisy, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you do? Ah, well, my book, Corporate Caffeine, breaks down how to figure out this marketing thing, how to stop wasting money. And I also have a podcast by the same name, Corporate Caffeine. You can find it on any of those. Or if you're looking for more specific organizational work, you can find me at themarketingblender.com. And of course, I'm on social media, Dacia, D-A-C-I-A. Pretty easy to find out there since there's not a lot of us. <laughs> You're the first one I've seen. So congratulations. It took me long enough, but I'm glad I finally found you. So thank you so much. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So Dacia, thank you again for your time. Love the work you do. And thanks again for your time today. My pleasure, Michael. Onward and upward. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.